turn this morning to uh, 1 Samuel 3, 1 Samuel 3, verses 1 through 21. Uh, a lot of my spare moments recently have been thinking about how to grow in my ability to hear the Word of God and uh, how to help you all grow in your ability to hear the Word of God. Now, as I was preparing the sermon this week, I realized that our passage this morning has uh, some very interesting things to say about how important it is for us to be familiar with the voice of Jesus in Scripture. And I know that might sound like an odd way of putting it. I'm going to unpack it. Uh, but to get at what I mean, how many of you have a singer that as soon as you hear uh, their voice, you know who it is? I know a lot of you listen to country uh, because you hate good music. I'm joking, kind of. Uh, anyway, you hear uh, Brad Paisley, you hear Blake Shelton, or whatever female country singers exist, I don't know who they are, and you immediately know them by their voice, right? You recognize them. You can pick their voice even out of a crowd of singers. Uh, how many of you have an actor that as soon as you hear them, you know exactly who that is? Uh, Jeff Bridges is like that for me. I hear his voice, it doesn't matter where it is, I know immediately who he is. Or to bring it more close to home, how many of you, and as you think about your actual relationships, you know the voice of your children. You know the voice of your parents, of your siblings. You know the voices of your close friends. And, and isn't it amazing? You can have a crowd of people. You can be at a family reunion. You can be at a church. And out of that crowd, you can hear that single voice of your child, your parent, your kid, your best friend. My friends, we live in a world where there are a tremendous amount of voices and a tremendous amount of noise. And some of that noise, some of those voices are kind of just benign background noise. Some of it is very much not benign. Some of it is just the voice that we all have in our own heads, that inner monologue that we all have with ourselves. And this is why it's so important for Christians to be so familiar with the voice of Jesus in Scripture that when the Holy Spirit brings that word to us, whether it's through our own internal recollection of it, those times when suddenly uh, the Bible or a phrase from the Bible jumps into your mind through the Holy Spirit, or whether the Holy Spirit uses something from the outside word to surprisingly and suddenly bring his word to bear on us. It's so important for us to be so familiar with the voice of Jesus in the Bible that when the Holy Spirit does this, we're able to say, wait, that was Jesus. I need to listen to Jesus. I need to follow Jesus. I need to hear his voice and follow him. Uh, how many of us believe that we are familiar enough with the Bible and with the way that Jesus talks in the Bible, which is roughly what I mean by the voice of Jesus in the scriptures, that five out of ten times, eight out of ten times, nine out of ten times, we can hear his voice above all the noise and tune in and listen. How many of us want to be able to do that? Our passage this morning, I've learned, has some important things to teach us about how necessary that is, and also, I think, through the way that God wrote it, shows us some things that exemplify for us some important lessons on how to grow in this very important skill. So, uh, with that, here's my plan. We're going to reflect a little bit on what this passage reveals about the need to recognize the voice of Jesus in the Bible. 
what Jesus says, the way he sends it, how it sounds. And then I'm going to reflect with you a little bit from this passage about how to grow in this skill. So let's just read 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 21. We'll pray, and then we'll look at this some more. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision or frequent prophecy. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. And he said, Here I am. And ran to Eli and said, Here I am, because you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli, and he said, Here I am. You called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, because you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I will declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And Eli said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord is with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Thus far the reading of what can only be God's own word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word. And, uh, Lord, we want this word to not simply be outside of us, but to be inside of us. We want it to be written on our hearts. We want it to shape what we believe, what we think, what we speak. And most especially, Lord, we want it to shape the way that we hear. We want to learn from you how to hear your word. And so, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would bless that desire and would give us now ears to hear your word, minds to understand it, and hearts to believe it. 
Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher, and may the meditation of all of our hearts as those called to hear and respond and receive your word be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So what brought me down this track uh, was reflecting on Jesus' overarching goal here, which is clearly establishing Samuel as a prophet. Uh, specifically, I was reflecting on the way that Jesus called Samuel into this role. Uh, so as we read in verses 4 through 9, there's this pretty funny scene that plays out, right? Samuel's lying in bed. He's not actually in bed. He's on the floor of a temple. And Jesus calls Samuel. And Samuel, who is clearly eager to help Eli, who, as verse 2 tells us, is now mostly blind. He gets up, he runs to Eli, and he says, here I am. You called? And then Eli says, no, I didn't call. Go back to bed. And so he does, and then Jesus calls again Samuel, and then Samuel runs off to Eli, and again Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Three times this happens, until the fourth time, when Eli figures out what's going on, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the sermon, and then Eli tells Samuel, Samuel, Jesus is calling you. So when he says again, your name, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I mean, it's a funny story, right? Uh, but as I was thinking about this, it struck me that this is also a very odd story, biblically speaking. As far as I can tell, this is the only time when Jesus makes someone a prophet using just his voice. Think about it. When God called Moses, he gave Moses a burning bush. When God called Isaiah, he brings him into heaven. When God calls Daniel, he uses intense visions. And when God calls Ezekiel, he sends him an angel. In other words, every other time Jesus makes a prophet, you might call them prophetical origin stories in the Bible, uh, he does so in a way where the kind of misunderstanding that Samuel has is impossible. Moses, Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Ezekiel there is just no question about who is speaking to them. For them, it was God in fire in power, in glory, uh, even if it was just an angel, there's no question what's happening. But not Samuel. Samuel doesn't get angels. He doesn't get visions. He gets his name called over and over again. He gets the sound of Jesus's voice. And as I was wondering about this, I had another thought strike me. Uh, how could Samuel confuse the Lord's voice for Eli's. After all, whatever tone Jesus chose to reveal his word in, I highly doubt it sounded the same as Eli's voice. In fact, I'm willing to bet it didn't sound the same hardly at all. And yet Samuel mistook the voice of Jesus for the voice of Eli. Why didn't Samuel at least go, that's an odd voice. That's not Eli's voice. I wonder who that is. Maybe I should go find that out. Right, when you step back and you think about all of this, it's hard not to ask yourself, okay, what in the world is actually going on here? Why no fire? Why no visions? Why no angels? And why doesn't Samuel at least recognize that the voice that he heard isn't Eli's? I think the answer lies in verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Uh, when God says that Samuel didn't know the Lord, there's two possible ways of understanding what he means. One way is that Jesus means that Samuel 
wasn't saved yet, but that after this moment he is saved. But I think that's the wrong option. Uh, it is true that when the Bible says that people don't know the Lord, it often means they haven't repented and trusted in Jesus yet. So that interpretation is not crazy or anything like that. But I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong textually because Samuel is from the very beginning used as a foil, a contrasting person, for Hophni and Phinehas. A Hophni and Phinehas, they don't know the Lord savingly. They don't serve the Lord at all. They are wicked and violent. But Samuel, who is also a priest, isn't like them in any respect. He isn't violent. He isn't selfish. In fact, as our text tells us in verse 1, Samuel is ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. He's serving Jesus. And that ministry looks like him letting Eli, who is very old and almost totally blind, get some rest, while Samuel, who, because he's called a boy at this point, is probably 10, 11-ish years old, while Samuel's lying on the floor of the holy place so he can make sure the lamp of God, which symbolizes God's presence with his people, doesn't go out. In other words, Samuel is serving Jesus. The text says that. He's serving Eli. The text says that. And he's at a very young age dedicated to making sure that Jesus' people knows that he is with them by making sure the lamp of God doesn't go out. So by his actions, he's loving Jesus, he's loving his guardian Eli, and he's loving the people of God. So all that to say, when God says Samuel didn't know the Lord, I don't think he means that Samuel didn't have faith, or that Samuel worshipped an idol, or anything at all like that. So if, if that's not what it means, what does it mean? Uh, well, there's another way that God uses this phrase, doesn't know the Lord. And it shows up most often in the prophets, and especially in Hosea. So without getting into the weeds, in Hosea, there's this powerful indictment of Israel's on-again, off-again repentance, which probably sounds all like you and me, right? We repent on Monday, we don't repent on Tuesday, we repent on Wednesday. That's the kind of thing God is talking about. God says in Hosea that our fickle repentance is rooted in the fact that we don't know the Lord, but not in the sense that we don't worship Jesus or we don't, they didn't worship Jesus or we didn't worship Jesus or we don't know what the Bible says. No, it's in the sense that we don't follow him well because we don't know him well enough to do that. Because we don't listen well. In fact, Jesus will say in a very poignant chapter in Hosea, I think it's chapter six, might be chapter four. Jesus will say, my people will hear my, will hear my calls to confess their sins and they will listen, they'll call each other to confess their sins, to repent. In the morning, they'll do that, but in the evening, they'll stop listening to my voice, and they'll stop repenting. See, the issue in Hosea is that they and we don't know the Lord well enough to hear his voice cut through the noise of the world and the noise of the temptations to sin that echo in our own hearts. The problem is we aren't as close to Jesus as we need to be. We aren't as familiar with Jesus as we need to be. We don't uh, know his word as deeply as we need to, need to in order to be faithful in the morning and in the evening. We don't know the Lord the way that we need to if we are to follow him as faithfully as we want to and as Jesus wants us to. 
And I think this is what Jesus means when he says that Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. That is, Samuel was unfamiliar with the voice of Jesus. He knows Jesus. He's serving Jesus. He's showing Jesus' love to people. But he wasn't familiar with the voice of Jesus, with the word of Jesus. He couldn't pick it out in a crowd. In fact, he couldn't pick it out in the silence of an empty temple in the evening. See, the issue here is not being familiar with the way that Jesus talks, the way that Jesus sounds. It's not being familiar enough with the word of God, which for us is the Bible. In fact, the problem of the story isn't solved until Eli perceives, the text tells us, or recognizes that Jesus is talking. The solution to the problem that Eli has and that you and I have is embodied, or that uh, Samuel had and that you and I have, is embodied in Eli, who recognizes that Jesus is speaking and that we need to pay attention to him and follow him. We need to know him, just like in Hosea. My friends, the more I thought about this, the more I've come to believe that this skill of being so familiar with the Bible and the way the Bible talks, which I'm summarizing as the voice of Jesus in Scripture, it is foundational to every other issue related to hearing the Word of God. So if you think about all the problems that our hearing of God's Word can have in the Bible, by my count, there are four. Most famously, uh, we face the issue of false prophets, that is, people who claim to speak for Jesus, but who are, in fact, speaking for Satan. And since in our circles, uh, we don't have people claiming to speak for God as directly, we don't, tend not to have people come up and say, I have a word from the Lord for you. I'm going to add as well that biblically, prophecy is also about interpretation and application. As a matter of fact, Ezekiel's prophetic ministry was in large measure based on his correct interpretation and application of God's previous prophetic words in, Hosea, in, uh, in Isaiah and Jeremiah. So in our day, false prophets would be people telling you uh, that Jesus wants you not to turn your cheek, but turn their cheek to hurt that person, to mistreat them, to yell at them. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, they are full of false prophets who use the Bible to call for violence and hatred and oppression in Jesus' name. And it's awful. But yet Christians hear their voice and they follow them. This is a problem we face today, false prophets. How do we keep from following them or stop following them if we have fallen into their snare? Another problem we face is being hard-hearted. That's simply when we just reject God's word outright. Right? We hear God's word, we recognize it's God's word, and like Pharaoh, we say, no, no, I will not do that. How do we keep our hearts from being hard? Another problem we face, the third issue, is what the Bible calls hearing but not listening. We hear God's word, we believe it, but we don't act on it. This is James, right? Don't simply be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We can hear God's word, recognize it for what it is, but not turn it into the actions God has called us to. And this is that one is essential to the issue in Hosea about how we repent in the morning, but we stop in the afternoon. How do we bridge the gap 
between hearing and doing, where we hear and act. And then finally, the last issue we face, which is the one we're talking about this morning, is perceiving when Jesus is talking. Being so familiar with the way that Jesus speaks in the Bible, with his intentions, with the way he talks about certain things, the very words themselves, that when Jesus brings the Bible to us in whatever way he does that, we can hear him over the noise in the world or the noise in our own heads, and we can turn our face to him, if you will, and pay attention and act. My friends, I believe very strongly that the skill of perceiving the voice of Jesus in the scriptures is foundational to addressing all these other three issues. If you want to keep your heart soft and not hard, you need to develop the desire to listen to Jesus. You need to practice hearing Christ. If you want to listen and obey, you first have to listen to Jesus. And not only listen during worship, but when you're with your family or you're in the car or you're with your friends and you, the Spirit says to you, a harsh word stirs up wrath, but a gentle word turns away anger. You hear that voice of Jesus in the Bible and you speak that gentle word instead. And if you want to know the difference between false prophecy and the real word of God, the difference between interpretations and applications of the word that Jesus blesses and ones that he actively opposes as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Then you need to be familiar with Jesus' voice in the scriptures, which will give you the ability to say, at least, that doesn't sound like Jesus. Or don't you have people that you love when you hear a report about them and you go, that doesn't sound Right? <laughs> You want to at least be at that level. You want to be at the level where you can say, that just doesn't sound like something they would say, or you're confused. That's not who they are. Jesus is not the Lord of murder. He's the Prince of Peace. Right? He's the one who forgives sinners. He's not the one who executes them. My friends, I believe that in calling Samuel in this way, Jesus is teaching him in this text, the importance of being familiar with his voice so that as Samuel goes through his ministry, which is very tumultuous, it's full of political intrigue and murder and all sorts of people speaking for God in all sorts of different ways. You have Saul, the king God anointed, who then he removes, claiming God is doing one thing. David, the king God anoints, but then sends off fleeing for his life, speaking another word for God. Samuel needs to be able to discern the voice of Jesus in these conflicts and in this competition, Jesus in calling Samuel this way is teaching him, you have to learn what I sound like. You have to hear my voice and follow me in a world with lots of people speaking for me. And I also believe that in writing down this chapter in this way that Jesus has written it down for us, he's teaching us the importance of being familiar with the voice of Jesus in scripture. And just to add a couple of passages that will help you see how important this is in the Bible, uh, that it's not just here, but it's actually sprinkled in important places throughout the Word. Uh, I'm going to do this before I give you some practical steps to developing this skill. I want you to remember 
that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul praises the Thessalonians for receiving their preaching for what it was, which was the word of God. And if you go back and you read 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2, you'll see that the Thessalonians could do that because they already knew what the voice of Jesus sounded like in the Old Testament. So when Paul and his friends came and preached, they said, you know what? This is new, but it sounds exactly like Jesus. Exactly like Jesus. The voice is the same. The person speaking must be the same. This must be true. In Romans 12, verse 1, God calls us as a church to discern what the will of God is so that we can think and act differently in the way we live our day-to-day lives. How does that happen? Well, it happens, Paul talks about, through prayerfully attending to the Spirit who brings the Word of God to bear in our lives. Because as Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, since we live by the Spirit, since the Holy Spirit has made us alive with Christ, let us keep in step with the Spirit as he uses the words of Jesus, the Bible, to bring about greater and greater obedience in our daily life with each other, with our neighbors. See, at the heart of all these skills, uh, discerning when Jesus is talking, discerning his will, following the lead of Christ, lies our ability to pick out the voice of Jesus in the Bible out of the noise of the world, out of the noise of our own hearts, out of the busyness of our own minds, so that we can listen and follow him. So how do we grow in this skill? And uh, I know we're at the end, uh, but I'm going to give three very brief things to do. And... uh, I'm not going to preach three more sermons, but I kind of want to. I'm going to stay in 1 Samuel, but I kind of just want to dive off and make these the next series. But here's three brief things to do. I hope these are helpful. The first thing we need to do is we need to become familiar with the voice of Jesus in the Bible by becoming familiar with the Bible. We need to simply read the Bible over and over and over and over and over again. And there are lots of tools to help us do this, way more than you know, Paul had in his day. Uh, you know that I tend to use the Book of Common Prayer for my daily uh, prayer time. Um, not always, but a lot of the time. If you use the Book of Common Prayer, um, depending on the version, depending on whether you decide to do it daily or weekly, the long or the short, there's so many different versions, you would read through the Psalms either once a week or four times a year. You'd read through the Bible either in a month or the entire Bible, or the entire Bible every three years. Uh, You can get a Bible reading plan. Uh, Those are available for free all over the internet, or you can get one from me. Or uh, you can use that infographic I've been putting out in the weekly email that breaks down the books of the Bible by the average time it takes to read them. And you can then work Bible reading into all sorts of different corners of your day. Uh, You can read the Bible with your family. And uh, fathers and grandfathers, you may remember that we talked about different ways to do this. I have some copies of that book that sort of encourages us to get that started if you want another one of those. Uh, You can read the Bible by yourself. Uh, You can listen to the Bible while you drive or walk or do chores for free on various Bible apps. You can ask me for some if you don't don't have any. Uh, But beloved, just start. Like, just read. Uh, and, And if you stopped... Then, then pick back up again. How many of us, we start a, a new thing like Bible reading, we stop doing it, and then we feel guilty, and then we 
don't do it because we feel guilty. And then a year goes by and we haven't done anything. Like, don't feel guilty. Just start again. Jesus is fine. He loves you. He's gracious and mercy. It's fine. Just start. And if you stopped in a place where you just weren't connecting, don't pick up again there. Start somewhere else. Start in the Gospels. Start in 1 Samuel. Uh, start in the Psalms. If you want to start at the end of the Bible and read Revelation, read Revelation. Like, who cares? As long as you start and practice. And, and if you feel like reading it every day is just too much for you, read it every other day. Uh, read it three times a week. Like, but whatever you do, make a commitment between yourself and Jesus and your friends and your loved ones to actually read. And, and by the way, again, if you look at that infographic, half the books of the New Testament take 15 minutes or less to read. There's 27 books in the New Testament 16 of those are 15 minutes or less. Some of them are like three minutes. Like Philemon's, I think, two minutes. More than half of the Old Testament can be read in 20 minutes or less. So you, if you're scared about making hour commitments, make minute commitments. Use the infographic that I gave to help you figure out what to do. But again, you can't be familiar with the voice of Jesus in the Scripture if you just don't know the scriptures. So take some time to read the Bible. How else can you do that? Time is going fast. Um, here's something that's gonna be different for you all, but I think this is a very important practice that has been lost by a lot of the church in the past. It was a very common practice. It's been lost now. Uh, I wanna recover it. And that is, after you read the Bible, take at least one minute of silence in the presence of Jesus with some part of the word you just read in your mind. One minute of silence. I don't think it's an accident that Jesus' voice was most clearly heard by Samuel at night. Uh, the Bible is very famously spare on details, so when it includes these details, they are important. And the scene that's set out for us in verses 2 through 3 shows that the temple is empty Everyone's gone. It's just Samuel and Eli who is falling asleep, and it's silent. The Bible says repeatedly to be still, to be quiet, and know that Jesus is God. And certainly this idea of resting silently in the presence of Jesus must be why Elijah, when Elijah heard the voice of God quietly talking after the storms, right, as the King James family famously has it, that still small voice, he knew that's when he needed to go out and listen. In Ecclesiastes, we're told to draw near to worship and be quick to listen and to be quiet after we hear before we speak. Jesus goes off and spends in his ministry hours of quiet with the Father. The apostles appoint deacons so that they can pray and have time in stillness before Jesus before they go out and are busy for Jesus. I could just go on and on and on and on. Uh, Daniel goes into his room and spends time, or yeah, excuse me, Ezekiel goes into his room and spends time sitting silently with the Lord and then praying before he gets his visions. Daniel goes and sits quietly outside of his window after reading the Bible before praying. David goes off by himself uh, three times a day or seven times a day, depending on the season of his life, to be in stillness with Jesus after hearing his word. It's just throughout the whole Bible you can see this. And so my point here is, in the Bible, uh, after reading the Bible, we see people sitting silently with Jesus. 
And that goes hand in hand. And if you think about it, that was in the pre-modern world where there aren't cell phones and text messages and email and social media and YouTube and like radio and uh, cable television and all that. So if it was the case back then when things were much more quiet, how much more do we need quiet and stillness now? So here's what I recommend. Read the Bible. And then if you can, right after you're done, but if you can't, some time later, set a timer on your phone. You all have one for one minute. I promise you that one minute will feel like 10 minutes. When I first started this practice, I'd set a timer for one minute. And the first seven times I did this, I didn't do it seven days in a row, but the first seven times I did this, I kept thinking I forgot to start my timer and only 45 seconds had passed. Set a timer for one minute and then sit still in silence in the presence of Jesus and meditate on the verse or the passage that you read. Think about it. Pray about it. Repeat it to yourself if it's not too long or just hold the parts of it in your mind that you can and ask Jesus to bless it to you or just delight in it. Um, in the Bible, the word for meditate is a word for mumble to yourself. It can also be a word that means so like, like repeat to yourself. Like um, That's a lot how memorization was done so you're talking quietly to yourself. It also is a word for like growling contentedly. Uh, so you know like when a dog, like let's say Gunner, our big giant black dog, when he gets something he really likes, he's he's making this noise. That's part of the idea of meditation, just delighting in the things God has said. Maybe they're not full sentences or words. Who cares? A minute of silence with Jesus, repeating, reflecting, holding, delighting in the word. Phone on airplane mode. If you're listening to the Bible while you're driving to work, turn off the radio. Drive in silence for one minute. Think, pray, delight in what you've heard. If you have young children and family that need you, lock yourself in the bathroom. Uh, John Wesley's mother very famously had, it's like 10, 12, 15 kids, something crazy like that, in a one-room house, would sit in the middle of a house on a stool and put a towel over her head to basically tell the kids, this is mom and Jesus time. Not your time. I'll be out in a second. Like that, whatever you need to do. One minute. One minute. Read the Bible. Sit in silence in the presence of Jesus. So you can become so familiar with his voice that it cuts through the noise of the world. And then time is gone. So finally, um, I'll just do this very quickly. Involve other Christians who are already skilled at hearing Jesus. And this is comes out of the text where we recognize that Samuel didn't hear Jesus well until Eli helped him. This and a whole number of other passages in the Bible, like the one I mentioned a moment ago in Romans 12, which is directed toward the whole church, tells us we can only grow in this skill we can't, excuse me, grow through the skill through private reading and listening alone. As a matter of fact, if you only do it privately, you tend to go off into the weeds. You need the church. You need the community of saints who with you are taking the time to delight in God's word, to know it, to meditate on it, to be silent with Jesus so that when you come together 
and you involve each other and you talk to each other about what you're reading, you're sharing whatever insights have come to you, maybe while you're reading or in that one minute of silence you're practicing, together you figure out how to keep in step with the Spirit. It's not just an individual thing. It's a church thing. It's a communal thing. It's not just I and Jesus. It's us and Jesus. It's we together and me and my Lord. Because as we'll talk about next week, the word of God is not simply for us. Or excuse me, not simply for me. It's for us. It's for the world. So for this morning, I hope you can see how important it is to be familiar with the voice of Jesus in the Bible. And I, I hope you want that. Uh, let's commit ourselves to reading the Bible, to being quiet, to practicing stillness in the presence of of Jesus. Just one minute. You don't have to do it every time. One minute. Maybe do it twice a week. And then speaking to one another about what Jesus is saying and what we're hearing and, and what he's calling us to do so that together we can grow in the skill of listening to Jesus as the Holy Spirit brings it to mind. And then together we will become more and more that prophetic, wondrous sign that shines to a world that is so broken about the things that Jesus does to save and bring his peace here today. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, please help us to become more and more familiar with your words so that when your spirit brings, us to us, brings it to us, we can hear you and follow you no matter the noise in the world or in our own heads. Uh, please help us to read your more, word more. Uh, please give us peace as we ponder it in your presence. Please help us to uh, help each other pay attention to your voice so that we would grow and mature in the way that we represent Jesus to the world and to each other and so that we would know your peace, so that we would know you and follow you more faithfully each day. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.